0: Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of In No Hurry. I am your host, Cole Douglas Claiborne. So happy to be back with you guys for another episode this week on Labor Day. I hope you guys are able to spend some time with your family, with some friends. Maybe you're listening to this episode as you travel to be with people today. Just happy to have you guys on this episode because this is a very important episode, a very important conversation that we have this week. As you might know, September is Suicide Prevention Awareness Month, and September 10th is actually Suicide Prevention Awareness Day, and I'm honored this week to be joined by Ben Corson. He is the author of a new book, which comes out tomorrow, September 8th, called Flirting with Darkness, Building Hope in the Face of Depression, and in this book, he talks about his own struggles with suicidal ideation and focuses on what scripture has to say about depression, anxiety, and we talk about suicide and all of these important topics that are just so prevalent right now, especially in 2020 when we've had such an animosity and strife and economic struggles, depression and anxiety, and unfortunately even suicide and thoughts of suicide are on the rise this year. And so this book just comes out at a perfect time. And obviously whenever he started working on this book a couple years ago, had no idea that it would be so timely. And that's kind of been the case with a lot of authors and books that we've had on this show so far, that it just seems like God has been working provisionally in these books and in these projects to come out at such an important time. But I was really impressed with Ben and his scientific research and evidence that went into this project. And obviously he brought that to this conversation. And I think he really explains these issues really well and the science behind them and the data That goes into studying this and the data that shows certain trends and things like that. So I really think that you guys are going to enjoy this, but it really is such a needed conversation right now. So if you know somebody who has been struggling with depression or anxiety or even suicidal thoughts, maybe that's you. I'm so grateful that you're here for this conversation because this is truly one of the most important conversations that I have had on this show so far. So thanks again for tuning in this week. Here is my conversation with author Ben Corson. Well, Ben, thank you so much for joining the show. Glad to have you on, especially in a month where we're focusing on mental health awareness, suicide prevention. You've written about it and you've been open about your own battles with it. Uh, But welcome to the show. and I'm excited for this conversation. I know it's an important one. It can be a heavy one, but I'm glad to, to be able to have this conversation with you. Dude, I'm stoked. Cole
1: Claiborne, that's just such an epic name. Like it's such an epic name. Even though we were talking about beforehand now it gets mixed up with clay etymologically, it just rolls off the tongue phonetically. I like I like Cole and it's Douglas, right? Cole yeah. Douglas Claiborne.
0: Yeah, kind of a bad year to have CDC as my initials, but
1: uh Oh yeah. It, it works well, dude, for I'm, SEO. I'm, BBC. I'm I'm BBC, Benjamin Barrett Corson. So I got the British Broadcasting Company. There you go. <laughs>
0: Well, 2020, we'll just just jump into it. I mean, 2020 has been a difficult year for a lot of us. And your new book is about mental health. It's about, uh, you know, uh, building hope. It's called flirting with darkness, building hope in the face of depression. And it comes out right uh, right in the middle of uh, Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And, you know, the mental health has been a huge focus this year, given the circumstances that we've been dealt as a country because of the coronavirus and the economic troubles and all of that. Just scientifically, why has this year specifically been so difficult on our mental health as a whole?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. This has been a very difficult year on our mental health, so much so that um, nearly 50 percent of Americans, according to one survey, are saying the coronavirus is harming their mental health. One federal hotline Uh, said that this April is juxtaposed against last April. The um, calls to this basically suicide or anxiety hotline has increased by 1,000%. So I think this is really a perfect time for this book to come out. I mean, we didn't know that it would come out during the coronavirus. In fact, I'm not even sure if they put it out in September because it's suicide prevention month. Um, But it it just all fell in perfect place. Like Things are falling apart. I think this book fell into place for that very purpose and purport in teleologic design because I really believe that crisis in the midst of the crisis and we don't have to panic due to the pandemic. But yeah, um, I, think, I think the social distancing, as much as we didn't want it to lead to social isolation, that's definitely happened. We're not able to enjoy the human touch like we did. We're going stir crazy. Then with the killing of George Floyd, a lot of our pent up anger is... Righteously, um, this righteous indignation is activated, and um, we're living in turbulent times. See, we live in a generation that is on the mountain of conquering mystery. Like we've reached the apex and pinnacle and seen it of having conquered mystery. I mean, with our telescopes and our lab coats and our microscopes and discovering 150 subatomic particles and quarks and muons and electrons, protons, neutrons, the Higgs boson, on, like we're able to basically understand how electrons move, like electron can go forty seven thousand laps in a four mile tunnel in one second, and we can harness its energy to create electronics and because of this sort of era of the conquering of mystery, we don't know what to do when we're faced with mystery that is totally uncertain. I mean, I predicted that the coronavirus pandemic would be subsided by may, yeah it's <laughs> it's like the we're going to the fall now, and so. Nobody knows. Nobody knows. I mean, some people suggest that after November third, that a lot's going to change with the coronavirus because of the geopolitical scene. But nobody really knows. And so, when we live in an era of the conquering of mystery, when we're facing such incredible unknowns and question marks, and you know, uh, the the presidential election coming up, you know, these no matter who wins, it's going to be the oldest president that we've ever had, older than um, older than Harrison older than Ronald Reagan, who had the previous record, Trump beat him in the oldest, you know, oldest of all time. Now, no matter who wins, Mm -hmm. like people are worried about senility. They're worried about, is this in touch with the younger generation, generation Z, the millennials? So because of all this uncertainty, we don't have an anchor to grasp onto. And that's why I'm very passionate about my message, because this hope is, as the Bible says, an anchor for the soul. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned just the whole social distancing thing, which you know the, I think there's there's merit to, to not being around in big groups because of this virus, but it does lead to, like you said, un, un, maybe unintended, but it's social isolation and probably some fear for people that they're fearful of going out and maybe they're even fearful of getting out and walking. I know when this first started, that was a big thing. My wife and I almost every day were like, we got to go out and get to walk in. There were a lot of people walking. Um, I never thought that we'd still be doing this here in the fall that we'd be honestly, not a whole lot better off than we were in March and April. I thought we'd be kind of already past this. Um, but that plus the economic impact that this had on people, people lost a lot of jobs, you know, just, I think. And then on top of that, we don't have sports to watch. We don't have concerts to go to. We don't have movies to go to a lot of the things that maybe distracted us or kind of served as an escape when we would be having these stressful things. We couldn't go to those. So how much just of all of that compounded together has made it such a hard year for mental health?
1: Well, such a vast swath of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. So no wonder it's harming their mental health when uh, our unemployment rate has skyrocketed. I mean, we've had the worst day when the coronavirus started in Dow Jones history since 1987. Like it's been brutal. In fact, the GDP, the gross domestic product, which is even sometimes a better descriptor for na- than NASDAQ or um, uh, what's the other one? I'm, I'm pulling a blank. There's NASDAQ and the other basically. Yeah, I'm not a big Dow stock Jones. guy. Yeah, Dow. <laughs> Dow, okay. Dow, Dow, Dow. So there's Dow and uh, <laughs> NASDAQ. Sometimes even a better descriptor is GDP, gr- a gross domestic product to see how much we're actually manufacturing, what's really made in America. Uh, we just got the, the third quarter in and basically it was 329 percent down, or this last quarter, I should say, 32.9% down in the GDP, uh, which is the worst downturn that we've ever seen since this stuff was recorded in 1947. The wow. $2.3 trillion stimulus package as senators were working across the aisle, as Congress people were working together, um, we're not surprised, but that ran out very quickly. Yeah. And so because of these financial strains, it's it's not like a far str- stretch to... Um, imagine a more anxious nation, which is what we're definitely going through.
0: Yeah, and I, I'm a high school teacher, and I know that we've seen it where you know kids there they weren't able to be in school, and and that has really significantly affected their uh, their mental health. And you know, even this fall, the decision to go back, even when the numbers were suggesting that you know they, it, was, it was a worse scenario than it was in the spring when the school shut down. You know, school districts across the country are wanting to open because they know how important it is for kids to be in school. The issue is that you know, even like until this is gone, the social aspect of school is not going to be what it what what they're what they're used to. So, I mean, whenever you've looked at these numbers, you know, obviously you've been working. When you write a book, it takes a couple years to write it. So, some of these this book you've been working on for a couple years before COVID hit. But I assume you've been doing a lot of research during this this year. Whenever you've looked at stuff, um, you know, how, how has this affected? the teenage and young adult demographic that are in school. And that even includes college kids where that's such a norm that they're used to every year, being in school, being around their friends. And that got taken away. Uh, Like I'm a coach. Our spring sports season was taken away that affected kids too. Um, Just without, without those things. I mean, we, we obviously have an idea of how it affects people mentally, but from your perspective, you've written about it. You, you know, you've done a lot of research on it. How truly scientifically, how much, of an impact can that have on a young person when they, they have those norms, those things they look forward to taking away from their lives every day?
1: Well, actually uh, what's interesting about the scientific nature of isolation is that all grief, uh, philosophers and, and sociologists, researchers, scientists tell us is a form of separation anxiety. So wow. all grief is just a form of separation anxiety. And if you really think about it, most of the things that make us sad are a form of separation anxiety and that's because if you look at like dogs they run in packs and so uh, wolves run in packs so if you look at your dog when when you're about to leave the house they panic they yeah. panic why because they're pack animals and they know that their chance of surviving in the wild is augmented and increased together so that's that's the same reason why after you're in a breakup you you feel a need to text the person that yeah. just broke up with you because this panic and this grief is nothing more than a form of separation anxiety. So that's causing a lot of our, of, of our depression. And this was happening before the coronavirus. Yeah. With, the, with the digital age of social media, um, we live in public isolation. I mean, I always say that African proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. We think we want to disappear, but what we really want is just to be found. And so we live in this uh, day where everything is quantified and qualified. And so we're reduced to like our elemental parts as far as our social media profile is projected, like how many followers you have somehow gives you your value, how many likes you're curating somehow gives you your worth. And so this suddenly creates this dopamine effect where uh, we pick up our phone once every six minutes, 150 times per day. And whenever your phone does the vroom, vroom, the vibrating sound, uh, it, it's like a Pavlovian dog response. I, I wrote what exactly
0: happened? about this. Like you it's almost like you're reading the article I wrote because like it's crazy how like that stat right there. Like you're you're so conditioned. Like Instagram will literally send you notifications one at a time because it knows that you, you'll want to go back to it. It's crazy. And so. I don't
1: know if they still do this, but back in the day when uh, you were looking at likes, they would actually wait. They, they had the information available yep. to show you how many likes you had, but they would wait for it to refresh so you had to keep refreshing yep. manually so that you would be addicted to it. And what scientifically is happening in your brain is the same uh, chemical dopamine that is triggered by gambling is triggered when you are on social media. And that's because like, when you go to a gambling I don't gamble, so gambling machine. I don't know. Like when you go to gamble, <laughs> a casino, yeah. You you, you yeah, a casino. You approach it, and you don't know to win or lose, and that's where the thrill is. That's yeah. where the addiction is. In the same way, when your phone goes, it vibrates. You don't know if it's a win or a loss, a good text or a bad text, a yeah. like or a thumbs down. You just know it's a notification. Yeah. So you have to go back. You're addicted, and so. Uh, this 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 is why researchers are now telling us that Gen Z and Gen Y, millennials, centennials, and post-millennials are the most depressed generation on record in history. I don't know who interviewed the 14th century Burgundians to confirm that fact, <laughs> but as far as we can tell, like we are the most depressed generation that's ever lived. And uh, one of the chief causes of that is social media. So I exacerbate what's happening on social media with coronavirus with not being with your friends in person even more with you can't play sports with you're even lonelier with grief being a form of separation anxiety you can see why we're panicking
0: man yeah that's so good it's 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 good you talked about that because I've written and talked a ton about contentment and comparison and social media and all that kind of stuff this year. And it's so hard for anybody, but especially younger kids who that's such a part of their life is social media. Unfortunately, a lot of people find their identity through their social media presence. And when there's not a lot to do, there's not a lot to post about. And so there's not a lot of attention to get. Because there's not a lot of places to go, and it's just kind of for people yeah. who, who who put their stake in that, then it's hard for those people, and it's hard yeah. to cope. And so, you know, your book is coming out right here, kind of still in the middle of, of the coronavirus season. I get I don't know how long this is going to last, but we're still kind of in the middle of it. And what is it about your book that you know? Obviously, you wrote this not knowing that we were going to have the coronavirus. Um, but what are maybe some parts of your book or some points in there that people can read and apply to the situation that they're maybe dealing with here in 2020 with coronavirus and maybe the anxiety and depression that they've been feeling this year specifically? Well, one of the things is
1: I I lay out 11 weapons to defeat the dark lord of depression. That's what I call it. Like, we want to arm you to the teeth. Like, yeah. I'm really passionate about being Navy SEAL Team 6, MI5, DEFCON 1, Green Beret, Delta Force, Paratrooper, like... Chris Kyle, Lone Survivor, American Sniper, Marcus, Latour, like really going after depression like it's a like it's a war because yeah. I think a lot of times we let depression happen to us when instead we need to go on the offensive against it and so I arm you to the teeth in this book with eleven weapons and I'll share with you a few of them that have really helped me overcome depression because I got diagnosed with complex post traumatic stress disorder after. You know, my sister died and my brother died and I went through a a romantic heartbreak after an eight year relationship and just went through a lot of stuff that made me, I I struggled with over 10 years of suicide ideation and chronic clinical depression. And so uh, these things were huge and instrumental and integral in helping me overcome depression. And one of those things was, uh, this is a kind of a simpler, more shallow one, but it's, it's still good. And it's endorphins. Like I know it's cliche and hackneyed and an aphorism to say that, but as much as it sounds like a trope and truism, it's true. Like you, you have a chemical in your body that is a natural painkiller that yeah. is akin to the drug morphine. Like that's how powerful it is. Only there's no real negative side effects. In fact, you activate these opioid receptors in your brain when you release endorph- endorphins by exercising. Scientific research has shown us that if you go on a 40-minute jog, it has the same effect on your brain as an antidepressant. Like, that's pretty powerful. So one of the weapons I lay out is endorphins. Um, I think there's something very powerful that happens when you push your body to its limits. Your brain starts to get off all of your problems. It, your body produces these opioid receptor, endorphins, natural pain colors that actually make you feel better. Like, when you're done with the workout, Usually, you feel pretty awesome. Yeah. Uh, right now, and I have more of those, but I'll, I want you to obviously interject your thoughts. But right now, I'm getting trained because I'm in California like every week when coronavirus isn't happening. Right now, I'm there about every other week. Yeah. And I'm having a, a Navy SEAL friend of mine, he was SEAL Team One and SEAL Team Seven, train me. Like, wow. and I'm like, I, I don't go easy. Like, I want the actual SEAL training. And it's gnarly. Like you, That's crazy. you have like a chain around your body and doing pull-ups oh, chain man. around your body. And waiting Not many past. people would
0: willingly put themselves through that. So more I power know, but, to you. Like
1: it is so fulfilling. It is so like, I, I get so stuck in my head and I think, that can happen to people who are predisposed either biologically or psychologically to depression. And one of the things that gets me out of my head is to get in my body and to be present. Like psychologists will tell you that if you're having a panic attack, and I struggled with those a lot, is you look at the five most immediate things presently that you can see. So like mirror, wall, light, phone, stand, like you you, you, you root yourself in the present and that kind of gets you out of this ethereal world of utter chaos and entropy and the second law of thermodynamics where everything's falling apart and decaying. So I think like that's a really, really big tool for me is like getting in my body and getting out of my head. And one of those, it's not just like, philosophical or metaphysical idea. scientific research shows us the power of releasing endorphins through exercise so it might not mean getting trained by a navy seal but (laughs) whatever it is like going out to the park and shooting hoops going for a run whatever it is that helps
0: yeah golf has kind of been my saving grace lately i got into golf this summer quite a bit like i've always kind of played here there and then a friend asked me to go he was in town getting married and he was like hey uh it was like right before the rehearsal dinner he was like hey you want to go play golf out and play with them. And I was like, why don't I, why don't I play this more often? And like, honestly, like I've been playing so much and that's been like my, my main thing the last month and a half, two months is just going out and going out by myself and, and driving a cart playing golf. And that's kind of been my way to release the stress that I have and that kind of thing. Like I've always played tennis my whole life, but like it's been nice to challenge myself, learn something new, kind of get out and uh, have a goal, try to try to reach a goal that day. So, you know, that's like why at the start of this my wife and I we were walking every day because we knew that if we stayed in our house, we were going to go nuts. And so, just even like a a brief walk downtown and back to our house was good because it was like we're well, out.
1: It's, it's interesting that you learned a new craft in golfing because even when you go, like if somebody's listening who's going through romantic heartbreak, uh like experts on this say that's really good to to get your heart better is to actually learn a new skill like
0: pour yourself into something yeah yeah
1: a hundred percent and the walking thing is really big because like duke university shows that if you go on six a day or six days a week if you go on 30 minute walks over an eight-month period you'll gain no abdominal fat physically but also psychologically when you go on three 30-minute walks, it enlarges your hippocampus, the part of your brain which is responsible for memory. So it actually is like a double whammy.
0: Yeah. Dang, I might, I need to – it's a really nice day here. I live in southern Kentucky, so it's a really nice day oh, here. Wow. I, need, I, need to, I need to grab my wife after this and say we're going for a walk. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> what are, what, dude.
0: What are some other things that, that – you, know, you don't have to give away the whole book, obviously, you want people to buy the book. But what are maybe just a couple other things that – you you hope people can take away from this that if they have really struggled during the coronavirus season during 2020, that, you know, maybe this book is one that they could pick up and and really, really find some value in.
1: Yeah. I have a few more things that I, that I'd love to share about this. Um, One is neural plasticity and that is that you can reshape the neural pathways and the synapses and grooves in your brain to run in a healthier direction through rote and repetitious thinking. So neurobiology and neuroscience is now showing us that the brain can change. It's plastic, it's malleable, it's changeable. Daniel Amen has done more brain scans than anyone else in history. He's done 83,000 brain scans. And the thing that he found through magnetic resonance imaging and brain scanning people is that the brain can change. So a lot of people think, oh, I'm just stuck with this psychological equipment. I'm in trouble, there's nothing I can do. That's actually not true Uh, through continuously uh, retraining your brain and reframing your pain. You can actually cause the grooves in your brain to run in healthier directions. So that's a really big one wrote in repetitious thinking like continuously thinking about what's lovely and what's true and what's noble and continuously thinking about hope. Like that's a big one.
0: Is journaling, Um, is journaling a good, would journaling be a good, Uh, tool and practice to help with that? Because some people may think, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to like, what outlet to do that. Do I just think stuff? I mean, maybe in your experience or like, I know for me, like some people love to journal. Like I I wish I journaled more, but I do know that whenever I do sit down and journal, it's very cathartic and, you know, I journal a lot of my prayers and just getting my thoughts out there and getting them out of my head onto paper helps, Um, maybe journaling and what are maybe some other avenues that people could choose.
1: Yeah, and experts say that it's actually. This might sound counterintuitive to what I just said, but it, it's actually true about journaling. Th- some experts say that when you wake up in the morning, you should journal every thought you have in your mind, all the negativity, all the all the like dirt in your mind. Just write it down so you have it out on paper, so it's not lingering here. You already released it through a therapeutic cathartic outlet. Yeah, uh, I, I love how in the in the Old Testament, like Hebrew tradition. One of the psalms said, my tongue is as, a pen, as the pen of a ready writer. And I think there's power in that. You know, yeah. there's power in in giving a release to stuff you're thinking so that you can then train your brain to think hopefully. So that's definitely a huge run. Another thing that is really helpful for me is uh, the 10,000 hour rule. Malcolm Gladwell wrote about it in yeah. Outliers. And uh, that is like, if you want to master a craft, you have to practice for eight hours a day, five days a week for uh, five years or four hours a day, five days a week for 10 years. And if you look at, like the Beatles, the reason they were so good is not just because they were the X-Factor <laughs> it boys from Liverpool that came on the Ed Sullivan show and the British invasion took the U.S. by storm. It was because they were practicing so hard that they would play at a club in Hamburg, Germany before they came to the U.S. for seven nights a week, eight hours a night. So probably felt like eight days a week to them. But it was like a long... Maybe that's Long. how they came up with their song. <laughs> yeah, there, you go. there you go. I was hoping you get that. Yeah. But like, there's, it was just a gnarly like work ethic that they had. In fact, they played more shows live than most mens do in their entire career before they ever came to the USA. So, what, what they're showing, what Gladwell was showing, is that anybody who's going to become world class has to practice for 10,000 hours. Could there be a better time to do that? Like, William Shakespeare wrote um, Macbeth. Antony and Cleopatra uh, and one of his other great works, when he was in quarantine, because there was a plague spreading through England, he had to lock himself behind closed doors. Bob Dylan, as much of a legend as he is, he's never had a number one single that he both wrote and performed. He's written number ones for other people yeah. until the coronavirus in his 70s. Yeah. So I think there's a time where you can, you, like we have all this time on our hands. We have a rare opportunity for practice to throw yourself into a craft. So what I did over a five year period is I practiced my craft of speaking and writing uh, for 11,073 hours in five years. I literally timed it because rather than waiting for opportunities to roll up, you should roll up your sleeves. Like faith can move mountains, but sometimes got into a shovel. And I think a lot of times we wait for our opportunity when instead we need to hone our ability and then all of that falls into place. So throwing yourself into a craft is, wonderful distraction that's also as a byproduct really productive
0: yeah that's i i I wrote about that right with right at the start of this you know i'm a huge sports fan i love baseball i was super excited about the ncaa tournament and you know this like end of march early april is such a great time in the sports calendar because you have baseball starting the, the ncaa basketball tournament you have the master's golf tournament and it's just it's a great time we didn't get any of it this year and part of the, the way that I was able to cope with it was the fact that everybody was kind of in it together. You know, I wasn't the only one missing out on it, but what I realized was that, you know, I've gone, I, I can go a, a, a pretty long time without that stuff because I have other things to fill my time with. And I was looking at it as, you know, like I, I'm a writer and uh, I have a book that I'm writing on. And I was like, this is a chance for me to sit down and actually like have time to do it and have other time for other projects. And, um, uh, I, that's how I tried to look at it. Not everybody's able to look at it that way, but that was uh, not that I ever wish a pandemic to ever happen again, but the, the, the downtime that came with it was something that I personally liked. Um, I don't know if you're big into the Enneagram. It's kind of big here around the Nashville area where I live, but um, I'm a four on the Enneagram. And so a lot of people that are fours talked about how like they loved the chance to finally be creative during that time and not be distracted and busy. And that's kind of how I felt was like, I just feel like there's so much freedom. It's like a blank canvas of time that I could spend doing so many other things. And so that's kind of how I had to look at it. Like I said, I never wish a pandemic because of the deaths and everything that came with it. But you know, if we could just agree as a nation to slow down, that's kind of how I came up with the show. The show is called in no hurry. And it's like, we're always living crazy lives. Like we need to peel back and slow down and not be in such a hurry a lot. And so that's kind of why, like, personally, I was like, you know what? This actually is probably going to be good for us. Now, granted, I didn't want it to last this long. I didn't think it would last this long. And i see seen that, you know, I, it's obviously – it makes sense why this has been so harmful on our on our mental health. But, um, you know, initially well, – Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> Talk, well, I'm no, rambling, I, I rambling on.
1: <laughs> I interrupted. I interrupted. No, it's good.
0: Well, I was just saying, like, you know, I understand why people – are are feeling anxious now but like initially you know I hope at least for the first couple weeks of it people were able to be like it's kind of nice to not have to go out to dinner it's kind of nice to just be at home it's not it's kind of nice we don't have to go to a movie or watch this game or whatever it's like there's nothing to distract yourself with there's no games on there's no sports on no live events so time to hang out with your family and hang out with your loved ones and and hopefully people have that in their life to hang out with and be around. But, um, that's, that's where I was. I mean, that's, that's, that's how I felt initially. And, you know, I, I, I still feel that way if there's ever a time where we're slowed down again, that like, it's a time to take advantage of it. Not that you have to go out and like change the world, but like, you know, it's, I think all of us need to find whether it's a Sabbath one day a week, whether it's, you know, you're, you're fasting from social media or something. Find some time to, to slow down and, and remove some stuff from your life because I think it's good for your soul, it's good for your yeah. mental health, and it's good just for your emotional health. Yeah, and that
1: essentialism and minimalism is key. Like the Bible says, one thing I've desired of the Lord to see is beauty. Uh, Jesus said, one thing you lack, sell everything you have and give it to the poor or the rich young ruler. Jesus said to Martha, you know, one thing is needful. Mary shows the better part. Paul said, one thing I desire to reach forward to what lies ahead. So that one thing mentality, decluttering, minimalism, essentialism, this is the perfect time to remove that clutter from our life and to do a sort of wholesale spring cleaning, uh, in the integrated way, body, soul, spirit. And ultimately you're right, dude, the, the pandemic's terrible. More people have died from this in the USA than, uh, than all the Americans that died during the Vietnam War. I know the statistics are a little complicated because the coronavirus targets people with underlying health conditions. But at the same time, I think this is a moment for us, regardless of what number we are in the Enneagram, to to hone in on that. So I actually, one of our YouTube channels just released uh, a a talk I gave about the Enneagram because I've studied it in depth, like reading podcasts, the pre-Christian roots, the Catholicism embedded embedded into it. And what I, I'm a three and a seven. I know you can't really do that, but I just am. <laughs> like, I, cause I, that's what I, I think it's a little reductionist if I paint by the numbers too much, but like, um, for me, I'm driven to succeed and I love having fun. So when I'm stuck here, it's like, okay, this is the time for me to roll up my sleeves and hone that craft to be resourceful to say, okay, usually I'm living on airplanes right now. I can't do that as much. I'll still do it, but not as much. So, what am I going to do about it? Like, I'm talking about when it first started. Like, yeah. when you literally could not travel hardly at all. Yeah. Um, I've actually found it was the time for me, like, this helped me. This helped me to read, like, a ma- I literally just read Immanuel Kant and Thomas Aquinas. And, like, I'm going into these, the, uh, uh, um, <laughs> um, the Second Treatise of Government by John Locke. Like, I'm going into this stuff and just sitting with the dead men. You know, like, I believe that these dead. These dead greats are emerging like apparitions from the cemetery, <laughs> with keys of wisdom in their hands and treasure troves of sagacity under their arms. And there's all this wisdom left on top, but we're so busy scrolling, we're yep. missing. We we're missing the dead guys. Like, uh, you know how you know that movie? I see dead people. Like, I read yeah. dead people. That's like my that's those <laughs> are my best buddies in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways, over the years, at least. So, um, I think now is the time. I love this thing that Paul, the apostle said once he said, redeem the time. And I think, and he said, cause the days are evil. Like we're living in pretty wild times, pretty, yeah. pretty intense times. And now's our moment to redeem the time.
0: Yeah. And, and I wrote about this too. I mean, and, and I've not always been the best at this uh, during this time, but you know, it's for a lot of us, we kind of use our schedule and our busy lives as a, as a reason to not spend time with the Lord, to not be in our Bible, to not have quiet time, you know, and, and that we didn't have a lot of excuses here this year. Uh, and I feel like, you know, with all the stuff going on, it's like, that should be drawing us more closer to the Lord. And as you've written this book, you know, obviously we, we want to, you know, our, our hope through all of this stuff is is in Jesus, but for people who might be listening that maybe they don't know the Lord yet and they're struggling with mental health and they're struggling with the anxiety that 2020 has brought them. I mean, what is ultimately your hope for people that when they read this book, um, you know, that, that they'll come away with as it relates to, um, you know, their, their spiritual walk with God. That people would see the Lord as the God of hope. That's actually not a moniker or
1: sobriquet that I just invented. It comes from Romans 15, 13. And the reason why that's so important to see him as the God of hope is because how you perceive God dictates how you receive from God. And what you think about God is the most important thing about you. That's why Paul said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So we image the divine, we reflect whatever deity we worship. And this is not just true psychologically or uh, religiously or spiritually, that the most important thing about you is what you think about God, because Proverbs says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. It's also true on a neuroscience level. Like, it's wild magnetic resonance imaging has shown us that if you pray to an angry god like you're trying to placate the wrath of an angry god you have high activity in your amygdala which is the part of your brain they call it the rat brain it's where fear anger stress high blood pressure comes from conversely if you pray to a god that you believe is loving you develop richer thicker gray matter in your prefrontal cortex which is the part of your brain responsible for creative thinking and you also have higher activity in your anterior cingulate cortex more blood flow there which is the place of empathy, compassion, warm and fuzzy feelings. You're more, you're more compassionate to other people. You have this empathic bond because you don't put someone on your hit list. You also put on your prayer list, yeah. which is why Jesus said, love your enemies. Cause he images a God who first job four eighteen 18 says is love and this perfect love casts out fear. So, uh, the Bible says anxiety in the heart causes depression, but a good word makes it glad. And so this book is just, a, my attempt was for it to be a good word that makes glad those who have anxiety in the heart, which has caused depression.
0: I love that. And I, it's such a needed book. It's such a, especially it comes in, we haven't talked a ton about, um, I don't know if it's an epidemic, but the, but the problem of suicide, we haven't talked a ton about it here in the show. Oh, it's Obviously, an epidemic.
1: It, it's an epidemic. I guess
0: we can call it, I mean, you've done the, the research on the stats more than I have, but, um, you know, it's suicide prevention awareness month. You know, so um, it's not a topic I've talked a ton about on this show, but it's, it is something that we we truly have no idea who might be struggling with thoughts about that, who, who might have even tried to commit suicide. Um, you said, I mean, you mentioned it earlier that you struggled with, with suicidal ideations. Um, I'll kind of just give you the floor. I mean, what's, what, what's, what's your, yeah. your word of hope to those that might be listening that that's something that yeah. they struggle with?
1: Well, you're not alone. And I think that's really important to understand because if you feel alone in the outer darkness, you're in Hades. It's horrible. Um, The the research has shown us that this is an epidemic. I mean, once every 40 seconds, someone will commit suicide. That's true. Once every 40 seconds. In 2017, among my age group, suicide was the second leading cause of death. Second leading cause of death among my age group. There are 123 suicides a day in America alone. Uh, We consume more pills due to anxiety and depression than the rest of the earth combined by three times over. So in America, it is just, it is a pandemic. It is an epidemic. And what I want to tell people who are struggling with this is on your worst day with God, you're better off than on your best day without God. Like when you're going through your worst, God is planning his best. And this is what I want to tell people. Your suffering is temporary it is temporary. When you read the book of Job, which is not only the oldest book written in the Bible, it's it's probably the oldest book that we have access to, period. It's a very old book. And Job, he's exploring these timeless themes about the theodicy of God, like how can his goodness be justified in the face of trauma? And one of the things that's interesting is the very last chapter says that when he got his twice as many blessings as he had at the beginning of his life, at the pinnacle of his prosperity, it says that he lived for 140 years, which is gnarly, but like yeah. <laughs> 140 years where he's enjoying his great, great grandkids and all these blessings. And that's just one little verse, right? Like people don't usually point that out. 140 years, he enjoyed uh, blessings after suffering. Scholars believe his suffering, which is the majority of the book. I mean, it's like 38 out of the 42 chapters is yeah. just him suffering and that's lowballing it probably even more than that but basically <laughs> scholars tell us that that his whole suffering period was nine months long nine months long so if you compare nine months to 140 years I know when you're in the nine months and your kids died and your possessions got stolen and your scraping boils off your skin with a pot shirt you feel like you're in hell and you're never getting out and that's yeah. what suffering feels like is tomorrow will be no different than today it's never gonna get better but friends If you continue to make smart choices, if you continue to put your trust in the God of hope and and you're willing to claw your way out of the pit. That's one of the things I said to my counselor and my therapist. I'm like, I will claw out of the pit if I have to. Then what what happens is this is just a light affliction compared to the weight of glory. All suffering is temporary. So do not give up in the middle of the plot. Don't pause the movie in the middle of the story. All tears will be wiped off our faces, but we got to fight through it.
0: And one thing I'll add to that too, that I, cause I've written just like you, I, I suffered a a tragic loss. One of my good friends, he was the worship pastor at my church and I've talked about it a lot on the show with with people. Um, but he was the worship pastor at my church and he and his daughter and his mother were all killed in an instant by a drunk driver. They hit a deer, they pulled off to the side of the road, were waiting on help to come. And this guy was coming back down the highway. He had been partying all day at a football game, smacked right into their car, killed instantly. And, uh, I, I went through, it was about three months where I was in a really dark place. And I wouldn't say that I ever struggled with suicidal ideations. I never really even saw a therapist to say, I can't even say that I had depression. I know that it was a very, very dark period for me that kind of like you're describing, I woke up one day and I couldn't even remember what it was like to feel any different than how I felt in that low, in that low point. So it's very scary. And I, even as a Christian, it was very scary to feel like that. It's like, Uh, And honestly, what, what really, and that's, to be honest, that's what, that's what the book is about that I'm writing. It's like, I, it set me on this path where it was like, well, why, why is this all the, all the, why does this happen? Basically like the theodicy, why is an all powering, powerful, good God allowing this to happen? I had never really pondered that to that degree at that point. And so I've done a lot of studying and writing and research over the last few years, um and And if people want to go to my website and, and they can read that stuff, but from your perspective, when Christians deal with this kind of stuff, you know it, it maybe can feel like they can feel guilty like how can I deal with suicidal thoughts? How can I deal with depression and anxiety whenever I believe in god it It can seem paradoxical, but it 's not nearly as uncommon as it might seem so in your in your perspective, you know what what would you tell a Christian who might be walking through? Uh, These these sort of emotions.
1: Yeah, that you should that you should feel no shame. Like there's a stigma and taboo that's affixed to people who struggle with depression in the church. That is utterly, it's it's absurd. It's ridiculous. Like David was bipolar. I mean, if you just read his journal, which is the Psalms, fifty percent of the Psalms are laments. Fifty percent, they're laments. One minute he's like you know, crush the teeth of my enemies. I'm stuck in this pit, get me out. And the next minute he's dancing in his linen ephod before God yeah. in his underwear. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> One minute he's, he's he's happy as can be. The next minute he's like, all oh, your waves and billows are passing over me as he's, you know, soaking his pillow with tears. Yeah. Um, and Elijah, after he outran a chariot with Jezebel driving it, he was under a broom juniper tree in a cave and wanted to die. He said, God, take my life. Jonah, after leading a great spiritual revival in Assyria, he sat under a plant, but when a worm ate the gourd that he was sitting under, he wanted to die because a worm ate his plant. That's how or that's how wild depression is. You don't see anything clearly. You know, all you see yeah. is the beating sun of Assyria. Um, you also look at Job, the most righteous man of the East, the God, the greatest man of the East. He said, I wish I was a stillborn. These are intense cases of depression these are these are people who are like you should try psychotropic drunks like you're in trouble here dude like we're talking intense depression charles spurgeon the 19th century london metropolitan tabernacle preacher suffered gout in his feet and depression in his heart after being a golden throated orator with a silver tongue that morning in england like he would at night feel super depressed um the same is true historically like buzz aldrin walked five hours 37 minutes in space suffered from depression after walking on the moon, second guy to walk on the moon, uh, Churchill followed by the black dog of depression, Lincoln walking in the woods alone with a shotgun, tempted to kill himself after he went through a a romantic tragedy. Um, You look at like Kurt Cobain, Greg Laganis, the Olympic gold medalist, Janet Jackson, Carrie Fisher. I mean, Leo Tolstoy writing Anna Karenina, no matter who you're talking about, great Hemingway. He killed himself. Like yeah. great creative. Robin minds Williams, a hundred percent. These really creative or humorous or talented people, they have struggled with depression. So it is not a sin to struggle with depression now. So I'm I'm trying to say in, like there is solidarity and sympathy there yeah. and you're in really good company. You're not just in good company historically or biblically, but Jesus too. Like this verse always confused me where it said Jesus wept because Right right when he's weeping, like in that text, John 11, he's saying, I'm the resurrection and the life. Like he knows he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead in the story. So why does he weep? It's because Mary and Martha were just crying. They, were, they had a horrible four days when their brother had died. Yeah. So he wept because they weep. And that's how our God is. Like Jesus yeah. images a God who weeps when we weep. He stands in solidarity with you. The Bible says he's a great high priest who can sympathize with your infirmities and weaknesses. Sympathize comes from two Greek words, sin, S-Y-N, like synergy. It means together with. And then passion, where we get the word passion of the Christ, suffering, means the Lord suffers in sync with you. He suffers together with you. He stands in solidarity with you. So you're in really good company in that sense too. But I want to swing over to the other side of the pendulum and say it's very hipster for people to say something like this. Oh bro I'm just learning to live with depression like that that that's that's just who I am <laughs> I, can, I cannot tell you how much that just breaks my heart because that is not your reality it, we are not called to live with depression we are called to defeat depression like we need to fight and and that's what the psalmist said he, he didn't say like, why are you cast down, oh my soul? keep at it yeah. You know, he said, why are you cast out of my soul hope in God? Like, I'm yeah. not going to stay there. So while it's not not a sin to struggle with depression great people have, you don't want to stay there. Yeah, like, stay why there, would yeah. you live with this thing? That's like me getting a sickness when I could go to the doctor and get help. And I'm like, no, I'm just learning to live with this sickness. You would say that's a really dumb thing to do. <laughs> you yeah. know, so I think that's important. Just
0: learning to live with this broken foot. I'm just going to walk around with it. Not yeah, get it fixed. it's
1: insane. It's insane.
0: Yeah, and one thing that I'd say too is just like one thing that, I never really grasped until I started writing this book was Jesus suffered as well. Jesus felt all the emotions that we have felt while on this earth. And it's hard for people to, to understand, to grasp suffering. We don't, first of all, we never will. And I had Barnabas Piper on my show earlier this year and he wrote a book called help my unbelief. And in the book, he has one of my favorite lines of any book. It says, you know, we are finite creatures, Trying to understand an infinite God, we were not created to understand all the things about God. We're not created to understand why there was suffering Good. in this world, in this earth. You know, like sometimes the best that that God has given for us. Like I, I think I heard this. There's a guy named Justin Peters that does a lot of stuff on YouTube, and he said something like, "You know, we don't understand a lot of things. Sometimes, like the best that God has for us might mean." something that sucks. Like it might be a form of suffering for a season. We may not know what that means, but like, and he said it a lot more eloquently than I'm repeating here. I don't remember it word for word, but it was kind of that essence where like, you know, we don't know what God's plan is. We don't know how he plans to use it, but we have to trust and have the faith that the the life that God has given to us is the, he hasn't given it to anybody else, the life he gave to you, the life he gave to me hasn't given it to anybody else and there's there's divinity in that I think that there's beauty in that, and it's hard to understand that or think about it whenever things are going bad whenever we're in the pit of depression or the pit of uh misery or just in a really deep spot that's that sucks um, but you know I think for me at least I'm kind of rambling again, but for me, like holding on to the hope that not only. Um does God understand my my emotions, but he's there with me like like if you ever if you ever read the book the shack it's it's kind of the same thing where he's like yeah, I read it yeah, like yeah. like just like oh yeah, you live in Oregon, so you had to read the, it's it's said there so yeah um but it says just like just like a father or a parent is there with you whenever you're in pain that's how that's how I am whenever I'm with you like that's God speaking like that's how I am whenever you're in pain I'm there with you like it's not like I'm some puppets here causing all this to happen. Like I'm there with you in your pain. And I think as humans, it's really hard for us to grasp that. Uh, especially yeah. for people who are either new to the faith or they're not in the faith. It's hard to understand that. So I just, you know, I love that the encouraging words that you've given because you know, there is hope there. If anything that, if anybody takes anything yeah. away from this conversation, it's that there is hope and there is there, hope. There There's is a hope. way out.
1: And you know, what's interesting is hope in the new Testament uh, is the word uh, el peace. And it means joyful, confident, welcome. It's not just this airy, fairy, happy, clappy, wishy-washy, yunky dory pie in the sky, sunny with 75. Oh, I, maybe. No, it's it's joyful, confident, welcome. I love that. And uh, it's interesting in the Old Testament, it, it means a line. It means a line. There's always a line, a gap between yeah. the promise and the fulfillment. Like the 106 times the Bible says, wait for God. Sometimes our timing is off and that throws us off. But if you're willing to wait it out, You'll see, it'll work out. It'll work out. Now, that doesn't mean everything's going to make sense right away. the The Old Testament word for hope can also uh, be translated "knitted," because our hope doesn't unravel when our circumstances do. It's knitted to the principle behind which you cannot go. Ultimate reality, the ground of being, the source, the Creator God Himself. But uh, what's interesting is if you try to understand God with your brain, you're going to go mad. You're going to go mad. G.K. Chesterton, I I this this is in flirting with darkness, but he talks about how the mathematician goes mad because he tries to get the heavens into his head. Yeah. Like he's trying to calculate the heavens and get it into his head. So he said the cashier, or the mathematician, goes mad, but the artist doesn't go mad because the artist just lets his head float in the heavens and just is in awe of the whole thing. So he said the artist puts his his head in the heavens, but the mathematician puts the heavens in his head, and it's his head that splits. Yeah, and that's why, like Kurt Gödel, literally one of the greatest mathematicians of all time, friends with Einstein. He he died of starvation because he was afraid someone was going to poison him, and it was <laughs> it was relevant. It was it was irrational, but he was so. Don't get me wrong. I I don't know what what subject do you teach? Do you teach literature or something?
0: Yeah, I teach English. Yeah, yeah so English so and so literature. Th- I,
1: I love mathematicians, but you like you might have a beautiful mind, you know? You might go a little crazy. Yeah. So, uh, but, but that's why I think the same is true with the infinite. If, as a finite creature trying to cram the infinite in your head, your head's going to split. But if you put your finite head into the infinite, then you just float there and you yeah. swim in the wonders.
0: I love that. So the last question I always love to ask my guests, we kind of talked about it a little bit earlier, but the, the show is called In No Hurry. And so I always love to ask people when your life is busy, um, you know, or maybe now whenever it's not so busy, what What do you do uh, just to kind of peel back and, and slow down in your life?
1: Uh, I have some salt baths, dude.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I've gotten I some salt- awesome answers year. I think I think at the end of the year, I want to – compile all of my answers that you I've gotten should. from people and just th- that's a new one. I haven't heard of Epsom salt baths. I love Dude, it. Dude,
1: shortly after this, in between before I do my next my next podcast, I'm gonna be taking an Epsom salt bath.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it.
1: <laughs> How's that? How's that for the unwinding? I love that's it. That's something anyone can do. If you have a bath, go get Epsom salt. It's wonderful.
0: Love it. So if people want to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach you? And then also Uh, where can they go to purchase your new book? So you can just go to bencorson.com,
1: B-E-N-C-O-U-R-S-O-N.com. And uh, you can also get the book on Amazon. Just type in Flirting with Darkness on Amazon, scroll down
0: and you'll see it there. Awesome. Well, Ben, thanks so much for coming on here and talking about obviously a really important topic. I hope people that are listening, I hope this was helpful to them. I hope that they'll go out and check out your book as well and give you a follow on social media and um you know last thing again i mean anybody that is struggling with depression or any of these thoughts that we've been talking about i mean just remember there is hope and um our hope is in jesus and i i I hope that this conversation was able to provide that hope to them as well so Ben, thank you
1: so much dude thank you for having me and and Whoever is listening to this podcast, you're going to get through it. I promise you, if God could heal me, he can heal anybody. So thank you for having me. I had a blast, dude. And I'm stoked for your book to come out too.
0: Aren't you just blown away by how much research and knowledge Ben has on this topic? I know I was, and I cannot wait to read this book again. It comes out tomorrow, flirting with darkness, building hope in the face of depression. Make sure that you go grab it. And if you've got a friend or somebody in your life who is struggling with anxiety and depression, possibly even suicidal thoughts, please share this conversation with them. And if this is you and you've listened again, I'm so, so grateful that you are spending this time here with me and Ben in this conversation and hearing what he had to say about his book and on this topic Guys, if you are struggling with anything that we have talked about, especially suicide, please reach out immediately to somebody who you love, whether that's a family member, a friend, a pastor, a teacher, a coach, a mentor, somebody who is in your life that you know you can trust and go to in times where you are at your lowest point. You can also call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, one 800 273-8255 they've also got a chat option available there are so many resources for you guys to reach out to and obviously spend time in prayer i am so confident that god can hear your situation and he can work through it i don't know what it is that you are going through but i trust that he has you listening to this conversation right now for a reason but thank you all so much for listening to this episode Hope you guys have a great Labor Day. This is the perfect holiday for this show. It's a day to relax. It's a day to be with friends and family. Hopefully, you're not having to work today. Hopefully, you're able to do something where you're able to slow down and just enjoy what God has given to you. If you guys need me at all, you know where to find me. I'm Cole Claiborne on Twitter, Instagram. You can find me on Facebook at Cole Douglas Claiborne Head to ColeClaiborne.com subscribe to my newsletter. I would love to connect with you that way. But seriously, enjoy your Labor Day. Enjoy this week. Hope you guys have a great week. Hope you guys find some time, especially today on Labor Day, to relax and to not be in a hurry. And we will see you next week.